Our Bible reading today is Galatians chapter 2, starting at verse 11 to the end of the chapter. This section we're going to read together was written by the Apostle Paul in a letter to the people living in Galatia. When Peter came to Antioch, I, Paul, opposed him to his face because he was clearly in the wrong. Before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in this hypocrisy, so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter in front of them all, You are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? We who are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners know that a man is not justified by observing the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we, too, have put our faith in Jesus Christ, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by observing the law. Because by observing the law, no one will be justified. If, while we seek to be justified in Christ, it becomes evident that we ourselves are sinners, does that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild what I destroyed, I prove that I am a lawbreaker. For through the law I died to the law, so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. This is God's word. Uh, Let me add my welcome. Uh, My name is Matt Fuller, minister. It's great to see you, Uh, great to gather together. Let me lead us in prayer as uh, we look at uh, this book of Galatians. Charles Wesley's words, I read and reread the words of Galatians 2.20. I labored and I waited and I prayed. Who loved me and gave himself for me. Father, we pray now that uh, you would impress upon us the meaning of those words. That Jesus Christ gave himself for me. And that in them we'd find great freedom. Indeed, we'd feel chains fall off us as we rise forth and go and follow you and live to the praise of your name. Amen. Now, uh, this is actually by way of encouragement that um, uh, this morning we come to probably the densest part of uh, this letter of uh, Galatians. It's... um, 
particularly the, uh, the second half of uh, what Barbara kindly read for us. And actually, Paul is going to spend the rest of this letter unpacking, particularly verses uh, uh, 17 to 21. So that's by way of encouragement. If you think this morning, oh, it's quite heavy, isn't it? Uh, it really is, actually. Um, it's it's uh, raw meat. No, that's not right, is it? Uh, healthy meat uh, uh, today, but it's dense. So um, that's by way of encouragement. If you think, oh, gosh. Uh, don't worry, we've got another four chapters of explaining quite uh, what goes on here. And so this morning, in one sense, it's the, the helicopter view, the ride over. So we see somewhat of the terrain, and then uh, Paul takes the, the rest of the letter, really, to explain uh, what he's talking about. And it is for the first time in the letter that we come to, uh, in one sense, the central issue. That is justification by faith. So there in verse uh, 16... We know that a man is not justified by observing the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith. And so it is very much the central issue that's going on in the letter. This issue of being justified before God, accepted. Now, it it is legal language. Uh, It's the language of the courtroom. Uh, Some will be familiar. So... uh, Sometimes you sort of think uh, one opposite of being justified is to be condemned. So you could stand in the, in the dock in a courtroom and be condemned guilty. Well, the opposite of that is to be justified, perfectly having kept the law, not just actually acquitted, but legally blameless, beyond reproach, perfect. And the central truth of justification is that uh, everyone, without exception, you and me, stand before God condemned because of our rejection of him, our rebellion, our pushing him to the margins of life. We are condemned. The only person who's ever lived a perfect life is Jesus Christ. But on the cross, the swap takes place so that he takes our condemnation and we are justified. We are viewed as morally perfect before God. And we Embrace that by faith. We are justified by faith. Now, we've got the rest of the letter to, uh, to unpack a bit more of that. But to commenting on this verse, chapter 2, verse 16, uh, Martin Luther, in his pithy uh, fashion, uh, put it this way. This is the truth of the gospel. It is also the principal article of all Christian doctrine, wherein the knowledge of all godliness consisteth. Most necessary it is, therefore, that we should know the article well, teach it unto others, and beat it into their heads continually. <laughs> so justification of faith. So there's a sense in which what we're starting to do this morning is, uh, I'm not really much of a beater, but um, uh, we're trying to beat it into our heads uh, a little bit this morning. And uh, that's, that's what we're doing. He's right. He's right. Now, if you've been with us then uh, uh, over the last uh, few weeks, we said the, the problem that Paul is addressing here is that some have come along and said, okay, good, you, you start the Christian life by faith in Jesus Christ, excellent, tick, well done. Now, to, to finish it, to continue, you need to add certain practices, behaviours, laws. So um, let, let me try and think of it in a slightly different way, uh, or perhaps simplify. There's, um, he's not actually complaining against what we might call a hard legalism. So I've, uh, I've become a mathematician uh, for the day. So a hard legalism, uh, which goes a bit like this. If you obey God, you will be saved. It's quite straightforward. I think that is the, the general religion of the man in the street who thinks if I live a life which is good enough, 
God will accept me. You might call that a hard legalism. If you keep the laws, God will accept you. Now, that is just wrong, uh, but that's not actually the issue at stake uh, here in Galatia. It's more what you might describe, I don't know if this works, as a soft legalism, which is the false idea justified by faith. Yes, good starting point. Then you add in obedience to God's laws of the Old Testament, particularly these ceremonial laws, being circumcised, uh, only eating certain types of food. And then, well, then you'll be saved. So good, start, justify it by faith. So it's a sort of soft legalism, because it says you, can't, you can never be saved without Jesus Christ. You have to trust in him. And then you add something else on top. As opposed to the Bible, which is much more straightforward. Um, oops. Uh, but basically, the, uh, the, it's gone off the line there. But you're justified by faith. That is salvation. Once you're justified by faith, you are saved. Nothing else you need to do. Now, that will lead to obedience, because that's what you want to do if you're a Christian. But that's just a byproduct, if you will. It's nothing to do with actually what makes you righteous or saved. So the difference between the two, I mean, essentially, the argument is not faith plus obedience equals salvation, but faith is salvation. Oh, and then you'll obey. So it's this sort of soft legalism he's arguing against. Okay, that's the backdrop. Now, the issue of today is interesting because um, many of us here would think, okay, I've been a Christian for a while, or in fact, I've recently become a Christian, but I get that. That's the sort of ABC. I get that. But look down, just at verse 14, here's the issue of the day, or in this passage. When I, Paul, saw that they, Peter and others, were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I denounced him in front of them all. Very interesting. Paul says, I had to tell Peter off. I had to rebuke him publicly. Why? Peter is an apostle. He knows the gospel. He understands it. He's preached it to thousands, but he's not living it. Now that becomes a bit more interesting for many of us. It's very possible to understand these Christian truths very well. Very, you know, it's very straightforward. I, you know, I trust as Jesus, I'm saved. That's fine. Very possible to believe that, to know that, but not live it. And that's the issue that uh, Paul is really addressing here. So uh, I think I can say this. When we started looking at this book of Galatians, one or two said, "Ah, well, it's a bit of a shame. We much prefer looking at the Old Testament because we get to sort of stuff we don't really know so well. And and this is very obvious, isn't it? You know this when you first become a Christian. Oops. Because there's a sense in which if you think, I understand this, this is all very straightforward, and now I can move on to more interesting things, you've just not understood it. (laughs) If you think, "I, I, I get the gospel, I get the basics of being justified by faith, and now I want something else. You've just not got it at all. And what Paul is at pains to say throughout the letter, and very acutely today, is you never move on. You just need to understand this more. And that is the power that will save you. It's the power that will transform you. Just to understand this central truth more deeply. So let's, uh, let's have a go at that. The issue is then, and this is where we spend most of our time, that it is possible to swerve away from the gospel. Verses 11 to 14. Let's get into the detail. When Peter, the Apostle Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he was clearly in the wrong. 
Before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles, but when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. So Peter comes to Antioch, a gent- Peter the Jew, comes to Antioch, a Gentile town, and very happy to eat with them all, as he should be, because he knows that there's no difference between Jew and Gentile. This is worth, I think, I don't often want to do this, but worth just turning back to Acts chapter 10. Can we do that? Just a couple of pages, a few pages back. Acts chapter 10, page 1104. Just for two minutes. Just so we get what a, what a mistake this is. Acts chapter 10, and uh, verse, let me pick it up at verse, uh, verse 10 of Acts chapter 10 on page 1104. So he, Peter, became hungry and wanted something to eat, and while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals, as well as reptiles of the earth and birds of the air. Then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord. Peter replied, I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. And uh, the point of this vision, verses 34 and 35, Peter tells others he's got it. Verse 34, Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God doesn't show favoritism. He accepts men from every nation who fear him and do what is right. So God is so concerned to, to, get, to make sure Peter doesn't get this wrong. He gives him a vision and says, look, you can eat anything like the Gentiles do. Because I accept Jews, I accept Gentiles, I accept every race. So what you eat is neither here nor there. You can eat anything, Peter. And God has really impressed this on a vision and Peter has persuaded others. He goes to Jerusalem and tells all the others, hey, listen, we, this is what we must do now. Okay. So back in Galatians. Peter comes to Antioch, and of course he gets it right. He eats freely with the Gentiles. He doesn't, have to, he doesn't think, oh no, they're eating shrimps. I'm not meant to be eating shrimps. I'm not allowed. They're eating pork. I mustn't eat pork. He just says, oh, we can eat together. There's no problem. Some men come from James. Not that I think they've just come from Jerusalem, that is. I'm not sure James is saying anything wrong. And Peter draws back. We're told, verse 12, he's afraid of, we don't know, losing his prominent position as, as one of the Jewish leaders, we, we don't know. We don't know what he's afraid of precisely. But the outcome is clear. Verse 13, it's hypocrisy. Even Barnabas joins him. And that must have been pretty galling for Paul. He's been with Barnabas 13 years. Gosh, how galling. This is his traveling companion for years. And Paul says, this, Peter, is hypocrisy. You know that it's absolutely fine to eat with Gentiles. God has persuaded you of that, and yet you're not doing it. That's just hypocrisy. You believe one thing, and you live differently. And how does he describe this? This is verse 14. This is not acting in line with the truth of the gospel. Peter, the gospel says to you, you, you are accepted freely. You don't deserve it, but you're accepted. And you should accept other people. And you're not living consistently with that. 
Now, let, let's, let's try and unpack this. It's literally verse 14. They were not walking in line with the truth of the gospel. So the picture is this. When you become a Christian, you don't just believe certain things, but God changes you, and you, you know there's a certain line of behavior you should walk, which is consistent with the gospel. But it's very easy to swerve off it. You believe one thing, but you live differently. You just swerve away. Uh, you may never have had this experience, and I'm pleased to say I haven't had this experience. The, um, you know what the police do if they, uh, they stop you and they suspect you of having taken drugs? I mean, drink driving is very easy. You just breathe into the thing and they can measure it. But drugs is much harder. So a, a friend of mine, a friend of mine, it was a friend, uh, uh, told me this. He was uh, stopped and uh, accused of having taken, being under the influence of drugs. Do, do you know what they do? So they say, right, you have to walk in a straight line. You have to walk uh, heel to toe. And they make you walk about 20 meters. Um, it's very straightforward. I mean, if, you, if you're sober and clean and nothing in you, you know, it's not that hard to do. Um, but if you're under the influence, you just can't do it. You just can't do it. Now, you're thinking to yourself, say you've taken drugs. Right, I must walk straight. So the policemen are watching me. Uh, I'll probably lose my license. Um, I'll certainly get fined, etc. Must walk straight. They just can't do it. You just walk and they sort of trip over their legs and uh, veer off to it. You just can't do it. And uh, Paul is saying that this is a slight picture of what's going on here. See, if you, if you believe the gospel, you should walk a straight line. But other things distract us. We get influenced by other things. So even though we believe something, we just don't live that way. We just drift off and live differently. So Paul's accusation here, Peter believed the gospel and yet was distracted by other people factors, so drifted into, well, what is it? It's racism. That's just what it is. It's racism. Now, Peter has stood up and preached to crowds of thousands. The, the way you become a Christian, one of God's people, is you just, just trust in the work of Jesus Christ. And now, of course, what he's saying here is, if you, if you want to be with me and one of God's people with me, you trust in Jesus Christ, and also, Gentiles, you need to change your, what you eat. And so he's drifted away from gospel consistency, and it's, it's racism. If you want to be with me, believe in Jesus Christ and give up your food. It's just racism. And so Paul attacks it for that we start to see something that's very important here. Um, I guess historically there are three ways that this book of Galatians has been read very quickly. The first has been it's just all about individuals, so, which is slightly how Martin Luther read it. This is a book which tells you how an individual can be accepted by God and uh, be justified, and it's all about you, um, me and God and how they... Okay, well, that's true. So Martin Luther said this is a book which just attacks legalism. In the last 50 years, lots of modern scholars have said, no, he got that wrong. It's all about how people relate to one another. So actually, this is an attack on nationalism, an attack on racism. But what most people have always held, and is true, is it's both. If you understand rightly that God accepts you, though you don't deserve it, without your merit at all, then you've got to accept other people on the same basis. 
See, if you really understand the gospel, you can't look at other people and say, condescendingly, they are inferior. We, we look down on them. You can't do that if you understand this rightly. And that's what, um, that's what Paul is attacking uh, Peter for here. So racism, it's just a, it's a, which is what we see, it's a, it's a swerving away from the gospel. It's a pride, essentially. These people over here are not as intelligent, uh, not, as, not as worthy, not as impressive, not as pretty, not as handsome, not as clever as me. Um, and of course, you see it historically in lots of occasions. Historically, how is it, I mean, we can ask now with the benefit of hindsight, but how is it possible historically to think, okay, I, I deserve nothing from God. He has freely given me salvation. But this bus is for white people and white people alone. How can you? Well, hold on a minute. You, why do you think you're better? You can't, I mean, historically, that's a nonsense. Now, of course, that still resides in, in society. It may not be the presenting issue for us. Uh, it may be that uh, actually it's more culturally or based on class who may think, yes, I know I'm a Christian, and it's, it's merely by faith that anyone can become a Christian. But those people over there, they, they're not as good as us. Um, I feel uncomfortable with that class of people. It could still be that race of people. And really, I wish they'd stop, I wish they'd behave like us here. This came home to me uh, a, while, a few years ago. A few years ago, we, we uh, were at church in Dagenham. And uh, not long at turning up at this church in Dagenham, which was uh, uh, largely populated by uh, great old-fashioned Cockneys was, uh, was the, the main population. One of the first occasions I was there, sat next to this woman in her late 60s. Oh, how long have you been at the church? Decades. You know, 40 years. Oh, okay. You've seen a lot of change over, that, over this period? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's been the, 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 uh, the most obvious change? Well, the most obvious change has been those Nigerians. And I thought, oh, gosh, here we go. Yes, over the last 10 years, lots of Nigerians have come into the church and they've changed the music we sing and the food we eat. And it's been brilliant and I love them. And I thought, huh. Because me, from my position of pride, looking down upon you, thought, oh, poor woman, poor woman in late 60s, a product of your generation, you're going to be racist, aren't you? You're going to say that this group have come in and, uh, and I don't like them because they've changed our church. But actually, she completely gospel-hearted. She said, no, it's brilliant. I love it. I love the variety. And there was me thinking, oh, you're just not as intelligent or as sophisticated as me or as cosmopolitan as me. You're, you're going to be rude, aren't you? And I felt like a complete idiot and was. was. She shamed me in her response because I was thinking, well, you know, I was patronizing, thinking oh, you need to be enlightened like me, really. It's adding things, or it's swerving away from the gospel. So verse 14 would have been very awkward indeed, I guess. Uh, Paul stands up and publicly says to Peter, you are wrong, and you need to change. And uh, everyone would have looked on, it would have been deeply embarrassing, but he was right. For the sake of relationships between these groups within the church, so there wasn't this racist divide, he was right. Had to do it. Peter, you're swerving from the gospel you say you're justified by faith, but you're saying to other people in how you live, you need to be justified by faith and become like me. And that's not right. So it's very interesting that we can do that. 
And I guess the sort of things, I'm not sure it's a direct speech, but the sort of things that he said to Peter, he records in, in the rest of the, the, uh, the little section, 15 to 21. I think there's basically three. It is quite dense. And uh, unusually, I've even put down how I think the logic, right at the bottom of those uh, sheets, verses 17 to 21, I think that's how the logic works, in case you get confused at all. But let me try and take us through it. Essentially, Paul replies in three things. We're not saved by law. We don't continue by law. But actually, we continue by faith. So let's go fairly quickly through these. These are the things he tried to persuade Peter of again. This would address his behavior. So first, we're not saved by law. Verse 15 and 16. Now, they agreed on this. We, Peter, we who are Jews by birth, you and me, and not Gentile sinners, that is, we've got the law. We don't just live like they do. We know that a man is not justified by observing the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Very clear here. Three times, verse 16, no one is justified, put right before God, by observing the law. Three times. Verse 16, not justified by observing the law. Not by observing the law. By observing the law, no one justified. So he's pretty clear here. If you want to be right with God, you will not do it just by obeying rules. That's fairly clear. Now, uh, very clear to say, a bit harder to understand in our hearts. Uh, a friend of mine went to a theological college in the States. And uh, uh, their first year, course, one of the courses they had to do in their first year was in Pauline theology. It was probably Pauline theology. Uh, but um, uh, basically the theology of the Apostle Paul, they had to spend a year doing that. Um, and uh, so about 100 of them in this class uh, doing this for a year. Comes to the end of the year and they sit their exam in, in Pauline theology. And it's an absolute beast. Not unfair. I mean, everything that was on the paper, they'd covered in the year. But it was unbelievably hard. You know, compared to past papers, everyone kind of knows the questions that come up. None of them came up. Obscure questions came up. Incredibly hard. So everyone left the exam really miffed. And uh, lots of complaints. Well, it was in the course, wasn't it? Yes, but unlucky. So, uh, and uh, in a very... Uh, um, Slightly nasty fashion, as some places do. When it came to results time, all the results are plastered uh, publicly uh, outside the lecturer's uh, office. And now there are 100 candidates. Failed, 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 failed. At the bottom, pass. Who's that? Huh. It's the other lecturer in New Testament theology. Brilliant. Well done him. So he sat the paper and he passed with uh, 90 opposite. Absurd. Outrage, outrage, all these uh, hundred of them banging on the door of the lecturer. How can you do this? This is just so unfair, so unreasonable. And uh, just by name, he handed back their papers. And, uh, of course, on the front, there's things like 31%, 22%, 7%. But next to it, A. 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 And so they're getting all these papers back, and this sort of bewilderment grows. What is this? And eventually everyone's got their paper over. Shut up, sit quiet. Okay, let me explain. Um, you took the exam. You all failed. Mr. can't remember his name. Mr. Smythe here, my lecturer, my colleague, he took the exam. He passed brilliantly. And I've given his mark to you. What does that mean? You've all got A's. What? That's what will go down on your record cards. 
but I didn't. No, he did, and I've given that to you. Now, of course, the brighter ones start to think, oh, I see what he's done. Uh, uh, others, slower, saying, well, hold on a minute, I don't want that. I didn't get this mark. I want my mark. Do you really? No, no, but I want an exam where I can get a good mark on. I want to do it myself. Okay, if you insist, you can have your mark, or you can have his mark. Which do you, well, okay, we'll have his mark. Do you see what I'm doing here? We've spent a year looking at this, at justification by faith. And I wasn't sure that some of you had really got it. Do you get it now? You all fail. He gets, he gets a pass. In fact, he gets the A. He's given it to you. Do you see? Oh. Yeah. I mean, very good. Sort of thing you can only do once. Otherwise, everyone knows. If it happens every year, you'd, uh, they'd, they'd soon wise up to you. No one would do any work. But um, that's what's going on here. Salvation is God's work. You're not saved by your labors, but by his, Jesus Christ's. So, saved not by observing the law, but by in faith in Jesus Christ. But anyway, Peter, you and I, we agree on that, verses 16, don't we? We agree. Good. Okay, let's move on. Now, here's where we disagree, Peter. Verses 17 to 19, we don't continue by law. We don't continue by law. This is where I've uh, paraphrased it at the bottom. Let me uh, try and take us through it. Verse 17, if while we, that is we who are Jews by birth, seek to be justified in Christ, that is we who are Jews by birth, trusting in Jesus Christ by faith, we become like the Gentile sinners. Then Jesus has made us sinners, sinners, hasn't he? The logic seems to be something like this. Okay, I've been a Jew and obeyed the law. Not perfectly, I know that. But it's good obeying the law. I probably get a seven out of ten. And now I'm, I've become a Christian. I'm justified by faith. I'm eating with these Gentiles. They don't obey the law. So they eat all sorts of nasty foods. So I probably only get a four out of ten now. So because I'm now a Christian, I get less out of ten. Um, Jesus has made me a sinner, hasn't he? Now, if you think that's stupid, so does Paul. Uh, and says, no, end of verse 17, absolutely not, bit weak. God forbid that you be right. That's absurd. His answer is, verse 18, what you've done is made the law into a ladder again. If I rebuild what I destroyed, I prove that I'm a lawbreaker. Here's an illustration, um, I think I heard it first, I've heard it a few times, but first from uh, uh, John Piper, actually. It says, think of the law like this. The law in the Old Testament is like a railroad track. A railroad track. A track that helps us, gives us, shows the way to obedience. And uh, the engine that will pull you along the track, the engine is God's grace. So there's, a, there's this engine that will pull you along. Now we're sort of railway carriages, and we're connected to the engine by faith. So by faith in God, God pulls us along. The track of obedience. And that's what the law is. It's a railroad track. Now, do you know what some stupid people did? Some people who didn't understand this. They got the railroad track, ripped it up, turned it 90 degrees, and made it into a ladder. And thought, on their own, we'll climb a ladder. But this ladder goes on for miles and miles and miles. No one can climb the ladder. It's not meant to be a ladder. It's meant to be a track that God pulls you along. It's not, but you shouldn't try and climb it. And for a while you'll be okay, but then you'll start slipping and you'll fall back. And it's not meant to be a ladder. And so Paul says, look, when I became a Christian, verse 18, I destroyed that stupid idea. I destroyed the idea of the law as a ladder. 
Now, if I try to remake it, what happens? I just realize once again I can't do it, that I fail. That's a hopeless way of living. That's impossible. So we don't continue by law. We can't continue by law. In fact, verse 19, through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. I tried. I really, really tried to keep the Ten Commandments, various other laws. I tried, but I kept trying and I realized I can't. So the law taught me I can't do this. I tried to be, I tried to have it as a ladder, but all the ladder showed me was that I couldn't. I was never going to climb my way to heaven. So I gave up on that. I died to law keeping as a way of salvation. So we don't continue by law. Don't, don't return to this sort of soft legalism, justify by faith, good. Now continue by law keeping. You try and do that. You realize, I can't. It's like a man with no arms trying to climb a ladder. You just can't do it. You'll never succeed. So don't return that way. Okay. How do we live then? How do we live as Christians? I know it's not how I'm saved, but I thought I'd become a Christian by faith and then I just obeyed lots of rules and and that would help me grow. No. How do we? Well, by faith. By faith, says Paul. So we continue by faith, verses 20, 21. Verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. I was crucified with Christ, and when that happened, my debt was paid. The picture is this. It's a bit gruesome. For some reason, you go to Japan and um, you commit multiple homicide. And uh, it's still one of those countries where where you receive the death penalty for that. So you commit multiple homicides, and so the death penalty is yours, and the day comes, and it's death by hanging. So you are hanged in the death chamber and die. And the doctor comes, this man, this woman, this person is dead. They have paid the price for their crime. And so they cut you down, take the rope off, and you pop up again and say, oh, I'm glad that was over. Um, What are you you doing? I'm walking out. What do do you mean? Well, I've paid for my crimes. I deserved to die, and I did. But now I'm alive again. And the law has no hold on me. I've paid the price. I died. I can't die. I don't want to die again. That would be unreasonable. I've paid that debt, and now I'm free. And that's the picture of the Christian life. That is true. By faith, the Christian is united with Jesus Christ in his death and resurrection. So the debt that you and I owe, the penalty for our crime is death. But we've died that death and risen again with Jesus Christ. So someone can come along and say, hold on a minute, but you've done all these things wrong. Yeah, but I've paid for them. That's gone. But, you know, what about tomorrow? I might commit some crime tomorrow. I might have commit some sin tomorrow. Yeah, but sorry, I've died for that already. I can't die again. It's gone. So that's the picture here. By faith, I'm united with the death of Jesus Christ and his life. So verse 20, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. God now looks down upon me and sees perfection. Moral beauty. 
of the one who has lived a perfect life. Now, these are not, um, these are not just uh, cerebral truths. I mean, do, you, do you see what I'm talking about here? This is a pretty dense passage. <laughs> and so right, we've got, we've got another, another four chapters to go through it. But these are not just academic truths because they transform. So just look at verse 20 and look at the life that comes. I've, no, I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God. This is new life. Paul is describing here conversion, transformation, Jesus Christ now living within you. Now that is transforming. So the, the, the faith, faith in it despairs of self. It looks up and says, Jesus Christ, I look to him. He died for me. He lives for me. He lives within me. He lives for me. He lives with me. It, it's about him. So Wesley's right, Charles Wesley. Verse 20, I look down upon this, and I, I want to get it. I need to understand it more. I'm going to labor and pray and wait and bang my head against this verse until I understand. Jesus Christ lives within me. And if I want to change, I consider him, the one who died and rose again. And think that in the light of what he has done for me, in the light of the fact that I'm justified by faith, how do I relate to other people? How do I relate to others? No, it is the rest of the book to explain that faith in Christ transforms us. It cannot leave us the same. There's something wrong. We're just swerving all over the place if justification by faith doesn't transform us. But let's just go back to the one point that he's trying to make here. It means at least this, accept one another. So that's the issue here. Accept one another. So, as we're seeing in a moment, when I surveyed the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but lost, but poor contempt and all my pride. See, when I consider this central truth, I am so awful that the Prince of Glory had to die for me. But I'm so loved that he did for me, for me. Then that, that, affects, that affects how I view myself and it affects how I view anyone else. How can I look at anyone else and think, I am superior to you? I'm superior to that race. I'm superior to that class. I'm superior to that country. I'm superior to that family. I'm better looking more into how can How can I think those things? I'm so awful that the Prince of Glory had to die. And it's so loved that he did for me. And that's true of others. And so I can't be proud in relation to them. That's madness. It's absolute madness. So you need to think he did it for me. Now Luther says we need to beat this into our heads. Maybe that's right. But I think more biblically it is to say, I know what he means, but more biblically to say, this is the truth that in Wesley's words, we need to pray upon and pray upon and pray upon until it not just bloodies our heads, but that it melts our hearts so that we don't swerve away in what we live and how we treat others, but we walk the line of the gospel because we understand it rightly. And do you think we've got some work to do? We have. <laughs> All of us, we have. But let me lead us in prayer.
Uh, Father, these are uh, dense truths, and we're very grateful that um, uh, you go on to explain them in much greater depth uh, and explore them so we understand them rightly. But if nothing else, Father, would we understand that when we trust the gospel, it must, it must pour contempt upon our pride. It must lead us away from proudly thinking we're better than any other race or person or class. And so would we not just know these things, but would we so understand that Jesus died for me, that it deeply affects how we relate to other people and love other people, we pray. Amen.